0: Welcome to Building the Future. I'm your host, Kevin Hark. You can check out new episodes of the show every Tuesday and Thursday at 2 p.m. If you missed an episode or want to get more information about the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com. Season 1 of the TV version of Building the Future is now streaming online at buildingthefutureshow.com. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Kevin Hutchinson, founder and CEO at MyTaskit. Kevin, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. Thanks, Kevin. appreciate the invitation.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. I think when we kind of connected uh, months ago in Florida, you you kind of have an interesting approach of how kind of MyTaskit came to be, and I think what you're doing with the product is actually really interesting and, and really cool. But maybe before we kind of get into... What exactly it is? Let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up.
1: Sure, I grew up in the in the Midwest, okay, a small town in, in Oklahoma, uh, in the United States, called Pauls Valley, uh, Oklahoma. Okay. Uh, so um, was there through high school and then went to the University of Oklahoma uh, and a great uh, Big Red Sooners.
0: Okay, sure, uh, sure. In
1: Norman, Oklahoma.
0: Yeah, and uh, what did you take there? IBM after that. What did you take in university? I'm sorry? What did you take in university?
1: Uh, MIS, so Management
0: Information Systems. Okay. A uh,
1: degree in management with an area of concentration in Management Information Systems.
0: Okay. So what made you kind of want to go into that?
1: You know, it was interesting. I started the, my uh, academic career focusing on petroleum land management. Uh, I was going to be a PLM. Okay. Uh, and the oil industry was booming. And in the middle of my college career, the oil industry uh, had a bust. Okay, and interesting. And so I was looking, I was always interested in, in improving businesses through computers and had done it sort of on the side. So it just kind of became my focus. Uh, MIS was a new degree uh, back in those days, in the mid-80s, they sure. had just started coming out with the management information systems degree, which is the combination of business and computers. So it seemed a good fit.
0: No, that's, that's very cool. So you graduate, you said you, were, you started working at IBM? I did. I was there for 10 years. Okay. What what did you do there?
1: So I did a lot of different things. Uh, First joined the company in their contracts division, actually, and learned a lot about their contracts negotiations and contracts management and administration, and then moved into uh, sales and then moved into management and sales management, and ultimately moved into uh, what's called systems integration services, uh, where we focused on how we can help clients connect disparate products and make uh, products from different companies uh, work well together. Got you.
0: Okay, interesting. And so after a decade, you were ready for a change or, or kind of how, why did you move on from IBM?
1: Yeah, so IBM was going through some tough times at that time. Actually, it'd gone through one of its first really uh, quarters of loss, and and they were making a lot of changes. I stayed with them through until it became profitable again. But through all of that, figured out I wasn't really the corporate guy. Uh, things didn't move fast enough for me.
0: Got you. Loved
1: IBM, loved the training and everything that they did for me. Uh, still bleed blue today, but uh, it was time for me to kind of get uh, other flavors, other things. Uh, sure. I was recruited to come. Work at Oracle in San Francisco in uh, corporate business development, helping them strategically move into a from a product-based company to a solutions based company.
0: Interesting. So I jumped
1: over to Oracle and uh, learned a lot about the uh, the healthcare industry, which
0: took me into startups. Got you. Okay, and and then you and it, from what I understand, you've moved around quite a bit throughout America. Correct.
1: I have. Yes. I was born and raised in Oklahoma. Oh. I moved to Texas. Uh, then moved to New York. Uh, worked out of New York for a while. Was in Washington, D.C. Okay. for about 10 years and now down in Florida.
0: So, how did you end up down in Florida? So, this is more of a personal decision. We launched uh, My Tasket,
1: which the parent company is known as My Villages. Okay. And we launched that company up in uh, in Washington, D.C. area. in End of 2011, early 2012. Okay. And um, it just, it's something, we're big boaters, so we had boated the Chesapeake Bay for a decade. Okay. And the Potomac River areas, and really wanted to get down to Florida and do a lot of boating in the Bahamas. uh, That doesn't sound terrible.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's not bad at all. I can meet the dock and I can be in the Bahamas in three hours. Oh, really? uh, It's that that close, honey? I guess, yeah. Yeah. Huh. That's awesome. Okay. That's what brought us to Florida. Okay, that makes sense. And so I I know my task, it kind of came out of some other things. How did you kind of or what kind of gave you the idea to start kind of doing it? You mentioned kind of boating, but what made you decide to start building kind of products around that industry?
1: Well, it's actually uh, my, a lot of my past career was focused on what's known as care coordination. Um, We built one of the first electronic medical record systems in healthcare, and we sold that to GE. And then we had built uh, one of the first physician portals where physicians could gather together and share recommendations and advice and counsel with each other. Um, And that was known as Medscape. We sold that to WebMD. Okay. Then I built a company uh, called SureScripts, which actually we connected all of the United States pharmacies with all of the United States physicians, and we enabled electronic prescriptions to go uh, get rid of the paper script, uh, and so that now we could transmit prescriptions from the doctor's office to the pharmacy electronically, but also let doctors look up uh, medication history for patients so that they prescribe safer drugs. Uh, depending upon what other drugs you might be taking, so we we grew that into a very successful business. Um, I was doing advisory work for two presidents' administrations, both President Bush uh, Jr. as well as uh, President Obama, oh, wow. on the build out of the National Health Information Network uh, for the United States. Wow. And during that process, you know, I realized there's so much we're doing around patients and care coordination around patients. Um, there's so much more we could do outside of healthcare to help people manage the things that they own, sure. um, like boats, uh, or RVs or homes, because a lot of that is done through voicemail and email and text messaging, and which is what a lot of was going on in healthcare. And so we decided, if you think about the boat as a patient, or if you think about the home as a patient, uh, that needs maintenance, needs service. Um, so we took those learnings of care coordination from healthcare and decided to apply them into the asset world.
0: That's actually really interesting. And I think that's actually, that, I think that gets a lot of people thinking, right? Because if you take something you know, and a lot of times you can move it to other industries. And I, I love the fact that you did that, basically, and created yeah. a whole other kind of startup based around that.
1: Oh, yeah. And, and trust me, all of my friends and, and cohorts in healthcare think I'm crazy, <laughs> uh, that have left healthcare and gone off to do this crazy thing, what they think it's all about voting. And it's really not all about voting. It's where we started, sure, and it's where we're focused. But it certainly applies to a lot of other things. Uh, and, it, and it is, everyone thinks industries are all different. And, and certainly they have their uniquenesses. But sure. when you focus in a certain area, in this case, service workflow. You know, physicians are simply mechanics for patients.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh certainly they don't
1: like to be viewed that way, but they are.
0: Yeah, and I I, I don't think you mean it in a negative term, right? It's just like, yeah. Exactly. Not at all. So they're very educated, smart, you know, but
1: you have to you have to diagnose, you have to look at the symptoms, you have to come up with a service plan, you have to, you know, treat the patient. Totally. And same same kind of thing in boats You know, you bring a mechanic in there, they have to you hear the noises. They have to diagnose. They have to figure out a game plan. How they're going to fix it? What's going to cost? Uh, and how do you better maintain? You know your body. How do you better maintain your boat to avoid uh, those issues in the future?
0: Sure. No, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. So, you, how did you kind of get the first version of this um, kind of my tasket kind of up and going? Did you self fund this? Did you build it yourself? Did you kind of bootstrap it a little bit? Like, how did you kind of get? The first kind of iteration, kind of alpha versions of these going. Yeah.
1: So we, we self funded it for sure in the okay. early days. We have, we have a lot of additional investors in the company now, but we actually created the company. The parent company is still known as My Villages. Got you. And the concept behind My Villages is if you think about it, um, we live in a bunch of different villages with respect to service. Okay. If I own a home, I use a different electrician than if I need an electrician for my boat. or an electrician for an RV those are they may all be electricians but those are different villages an RV a boat a house different service people that I work with in different places so the concept was that we would build out these different villages and we created the boat village first and it really was going back to the days of the the portal that we built to allow physicians to share information and advice and uh, recommendations and service plans. And so we we built that out, called the Boat Village, allowing manufacturers, industry experts, boat owners to post advice. And we loaded it up with about 30,000 pieces of recommendation about how often to change 100-hour oil change, 200-hour service, 500-hour service on a Volvo engine, a Mercury engine. And we, we kind of put that what was called quality care guidelines in healthcare? We put that into a database for the boating industry, so that you could automatically get reminded, you know, when you were coming due for certain maintenance. Okay. So that was all under the Boat Village and under the parent name company, My Villages. Got you.
0: Okay, interesting. So you also kind of mentioned um, to me before that you guys acquired a company. What was the reason you guys decided to acquire? A Company and kind of um, how did that kind of advance the journey, right? To becoming kind of my task, it
1: yeah. I, I still go back, it was learning that we had in healthcare uh, when we built the first electronic medical record system in healthcare. Um, it, it had to get integrated, it had to get interfaced with the billing system in the back end, right? So that when they're keeping the medical records for patients that information had to flow because there's certain codes they use in healthcare that generate certain bills. And that information had to go from the chart into the billing system. Okay. So we had engaged, um, as we built out the Boat Village, it became clear that the industry, what they really wanted was a service, uh, a better service process internally, as well as working with clients, allowing them to order work to be done online. But they really needed to do a better way of, communicating and coordinating work between the service manager and the field technicians.
0: Okay, interesting. And
1: once that became our focus, we started building my task it, uh, kind of in the back end as we were launching the boat village and, and getting all the learnings from that. Along that way, we were doing an integration to a company called Docmaster. And uh Cam Collins, who was the CEO of Docmaster, we were focused on what data needed to move back and forth between the the back office system where billing and parts and and uh, accounting are, are located with this service workflow platform that we were building and as we started to do the integration, uh, you know cam had the idea and said, you know why don't we just bring these other one company okay. uh, instead of actually doing an integration between the two of us so the opportunity presented itself and and we did that
0: oh that okay that's that's actually really interesting. So did you know Cam before kind of or or like did you only just start kind of meeting and getting to know him when you were looking when you started the integration process?
1: Yeah, well, really really funny story uh about that. I did not know Cam. Okay. Um, but when we started the company, when most times you start these companies you you usually come up with a code name uh, and and it goes because you don't really know what the company is going to be named at first. And so you just kind of come up with a code name as you're developing this kind of idea. Sure. Our code name for when we, before we launched the company in 2012 uh, was Dockmaster. Okay. And because it was focused, we knew we were going to start and focus in boating around this kind of coordination of care for boats so we said, well, who helps with that? Well, DocMaster does. It seems to resonate. So it was kind of codenamed DocMaster. Sure. I didn't even know at the time there even was a company that existed uh, that was called that. Okay. So uh, along the way, Cam found us uh, when he, we saw some press releases we were making about our intentions to move kind of in the service coordination world. And he reached out and said, you know, hey, we have one of the largest back office systems uh, for work order processing, service processing, boat sales, um, uh, marina management. We have a lot of companies and clients up in Canada, actually, uh, as well. Okay. Uh, they're on that Dockmaster system, and now they're actually users of our coordination module as well. So Cam presented himself to us. Uh, we had moved to Florida um, because of boating, personal. We wanted to get to the Bahamas a sure. lot. And Cam lived here uh, nearby. And so it actually just kind of presented itself.
0: No, I, I think that's awesome, right? And that that's the power of just networking and reaching out to people. You never know what's going to happen, right? That's right. That's right. So I want to dive a little bit deeper into kind of what exactly are you guys doing kind of for the boating industry, like as a service provider and like people that use the product. And then maybe let's move into kind of... What other industries you guys are um, in now as well, and kind of going to go to? Does that sound good? Yeah,
1: sounds great. Perfect. Um, there's basically the best way to break it down for what we're doing is it's a it's a service coordination platform. Okay. Um, but it really has five core use cases uh, for the service coordination platform, and uh, the number one use case that appears to be what people want to. Want to start with is called technician coordination. Okay. And technician coordination allows the service manager to create task lists. Uh, and that's what's integrated into the work order system of DocMaster. Uh, take those tasks that are on a work order and assign them to the technicians in the field. Let the technicians upload photos and videos for the work that was done or whatever they, they discovered was wrong with the boat. Helps gotcha. the owner be able to see, you know, how bad it was. They can log their labor hours, they log their, their comments, uh, which normally end up on an invoice that describes uh, what was discovered, what was done uh, to correct the, the problem. And that's called tech coordination. And all that information flows back into the work order system, back in the billing system, um, so that there's clarity around communications between the service manager and the technician. But it kind of moves into the second use case, which is client coordination, And client coordination allows boat owners to log in and add tasks. If they, if something else they remember, the refrigerator was broken, they can add that task, you know, to the service manager's list. Gotcha. Um, And then they can also track the status of the task of the work that's being done, and they can see photos and videos and estimates uh, as it relates to the work as well. And that's the client coordination uh, piece of it.
0: Okay, no, that that makes sense, and I I think that's really cool because you're right. Like when you take your car or boat in, you probably have no idea when it's going to be done or where it's kind of at, especially if they have it for days, right? Unless you right. call and kind of hound them and say, "Where are you guys at? when When can I expect my you know boat pack?"
1: Well, and, and that's key. If you think about how we're communicating, all of us today, uh, email, voicemail, text messages, these are not effective means of communication when it comes to business workflow
0: totally uh, at
1: all you know it's one thing to send friends and family emails and links and but if you think about it email has gotten out of control and it's no longer really a productivity tool
0: totally and we're
1: always looking for ways to find new tools to collaborate sure and there's companies like base and slack uh, Basecamp and slack and others that are out there that are building these kind of collaboration platforms where you can work on projects together, we're really focused on businesses that are task oriented, that have certain list of things they need to do, whether it's at a house or a boat or what it might be, and how do we build that collaboration platform for that? So we talked about tech coordination and client coordination. But one of the third use case that seems to be really important to the industry is they want to be able to assign tasks also to subcontractors.
0: Oh, yeah, okay, so, that makes sense.
1: Business to business. So you've got B2B uh, internally as well, but
0: you also have business to business
1: uh, externally with subcontractors. And if I need to get an estimate from an HVAC person who's going to do work on a boat for me because I don't have to have an HVAC person on staff, sure, then I can assign tasks and I can keep it all in one place and. All of the messaging, getting away from text messaging with respect to some of this stuff, all of the messaging around that task happens inside the application as well. Got you. So your photos, your videos, your messages, your labor hours, your tech comments, all in one place, uh, not scattered throughout different communication mechanisms.
0: Sure. No, that makes sense. So I'm kind of curious to know... What other kind of industries you guys are also dealing in outside kind of the boat industry? I know you mentioned kind of a couple like RVs and housing and stuff like that, but um, what other kind of industries are you guys in?
1: Well, boating is the only industry we're in right now. It's, okay. It's our main focus. It's our launch uh, industry. And we launched actually the MyTasket platform uh, just a little over a year ago. Even okay. though the company's been around for about four years, uh, MyTasket as a product uh, and now we're doing business, uh, under the name of my casket, okay. um, it, it just launched in April uh, of last year. Gotcha. So we've done a lot of learnings, uh, around that, but we're getting ready to, to define what that next industry uh, will be. In fact, we were just in a meeting in Boston with some, uh, planners that we hired consultants that are really helping us dive into the options. But if you think about property management. Um, you could think about the insurance industry that handles claims because uh, we do some warranty processing stuff for the boating industry right now Okay, uh, for uh, some of the boat manufacturers. So there's a bunch of different other industries. Uh, we've even had law firms uh, reach out to us and say, hey, I've heard about this. We don't have a way in which to communicate with our clients except email. We'd love to let them, if they need me to review a contract, they could post a task, assign it to me put a draft of the contract in there. They could, you know, click on it, review the draft contract, post any comments, and we could keep in one place all the different drafts, you know, of the contract. But to be able, they have tools they use internally to track their hours, but they have no tools to be able to do the client coordination other than email.
0: Right. Okay. So interesting. So, how do you decide kind of what industry to move into next? Like, is that partly why you're working with this team out of Boston or or is it? It is. Okay. Okay.
1: Yeah. It, you know, part of it, it, there's several elements to it, not to go into great detail on it, but the, sure. one of the major elements is the applicability of what we're doing today and how it applies into another industry without having to make a lot of profit modifications to it.
0: Right. Um,
1: So, some very similar issues around communication and coordination that exist with some similar workflows. So, really focused on task oriented businesses. Uh, Homes make a lot of sense because just like we're working with plumbers and HVAC and electricians and boatyards today in marine, you have a lot of that in the home environment as well with roofers and plumbers and landscapers, technicians, and the same kind of size companies exist too. You, you have a lot of, uh, small medium sized businesses in the Marine industry. And if you think about it, even in the home industry, those are usually generational businesses that have been handed down, you know, from grandfather to son to daughter along the way. Sure. And, uh, they're typically small, medium sized businesses. And that's a key point about our target market of our focus. I, I have a grave concern that the small, medium-sized business. This goes back to my roots in Oklahoma, uh, of growing up in a small town, and I watched these just thriving uh, mom-and-pop businesses in small towns, and then I watched a Walmart come in outside of town and basically decimate the downtown. Sure. Uh, and really put it out of business. And a lot of it was because could, they couldn't change fast enough. Sure. Uh, to meet to meet demand in the technology world. We have a lot of larger companies using mobile technology and and taking that technology and making it a competitive advantage. And we have a whole new uh, group of boaters coming through expecting to use that technology to engage and do business in boating. Sure. And that doesn't exist for the small, medium-sized businesses. They won't be able to build their own. They're going to need a ubiquitous platform in which they can engage with each other but also engage with clients. Uh,
0: yeah, you you bring up an interesting point because I, I think, like, I totally agree with you, right? There's a lot, pretty much software will be kind of taking over most businesses, if not every business at some point in the next decade or two because, and and whether it's like they build their own thing, but for the most part, like you just mentioned, they're not going to be able to build their own thing and they're going to have to use a product like you guys are doing or others right in in different right. industries and i think just for people listening i think in, in a lot of cases you can build really good businesses solving real problems for small and medium sized businesses that can't necessarily afford or even understand the software space right and you're probably right. going to have a lot more success uh, Than you know, trying to be the next Instagram or, or something like that, right? Where you guys are building a real business for a real need where you have like real people using it. And I'm not saying Instagram that don't have like p- real people using it, it's just they don't really have a business model, you know. Where you guys well, are, uh, you know,
1: yeah, you're on a good point. Um, we believe in, in our now that we've brought in outside investors as well, and we're preparing to do a, another round uh, raise in the second half of this year. But sure. those investors uh, really believe that our product, our approach is a more sticky approach. It's something that is, there's a lot of these things that are trends, you know, fad. they come in, they, they have a, they get millions and millions of users and then they, they sell off or they go away. Totally. Um, and we believe that what we're building just to the point you made, it It's a much more sticky application because it's involved in the day to day business workflow, the day to day business to client relationships, business to other business relationships, not something that is just uh a pr- pretty replaceable pretty easily yeah exactly. Um, and if you think about it, Uber did this uh, for small, medium-sized businesses. They did it for town car services and taxis and totally. and others who couldn't build their own mobile apps. Or even if they did, trying to get those proliferated and distributed into the consumer market would be very difficult to do because sure. they don't want to use multiple ones for multiple companies. And, uh, and they were able to build a ubiquitous platform for the transportation industry
0: for sure um,
1: and we all know that they're going into more things than transportation they're getting into courier services food delivery but it's the same concept it's the same small medium sized businesses that need and they they think of themselves as a logistics company not a transportation company sure and you know we think of ourselves as a service coordination platform and that applies to a lot of different things a lot of different types of services
0: Sure. And and I love that, right? And I think the the thing that also appealed to me about having you on the show is, you know, you were in big corporate tech America, right? And and you, well, and healthcare, you were in both. And, you know, you decided to still kind of leave that or put that aside, but still take that knowledge and apply it into your own kind of startup. And, you know, you went through A couple revisions of of some things you you moved it you you know you merged with another company i think i i love that right because that's kind of like the real story of how startups come to be right where you know i'm not saying it was there's ups and downs and i'm not saying how you guys went about it was any different than anybody else because i think in a lot of cases you know people don't talk about kind of the the things they had to do to get to where they are now and I, I love having people on the show that are willing to talk about, like, I merged with another company because they were doing this and we could benefit from this. And then, you know, we went after this one industry because it's based on my passion plus my previous experience. I think that's awesome, right?
1: Yeah, Kevin, you're on a good point. Um, you know, I, I have been in the corporate world, IBM and Oracle. I've, I've been in the startup world. I've run publicly traded companies. Uh, I've done startups with five or six people and grew them to hundreds of people, um, But I'll tell you this, it doesn't matter how many times you do this. The nice thing is you have the experience. But what is really amazing to me is every time I do another one of these, I think, well, we've done this before. We'll be able to avoid all that other stuff. Sure. (laughs) You go through it every time. You go through the ups and downs. No matter how much experience you have, you're going to go through, you think you're going to go to market with a product that's going to do X. Sure. And you get into that market, and you find out that's not as much as you're trying to force that in. It it won't go, and you have to morph and and don't put the square peg in the round hole. Become a round peg. Sure. And so you go through those. The the difference in experience is you recognize it faster, and you know the pitfalls of not responding uh, quick enough to those changes, but you constantly no matter how much experience you have no matter how many times you've done this you're going to go through the ups and downs and look sometimes they work sometimes they don't sure sometimes you're too early to market sure sometimes you're you've missed the market or the economic changes in the in the market um and you just have to kind of you roll with that
0: sure no i i think that's really good advice and i think that's one thing that i really try to promote on the show is that kind of like the real story of being in a startup right because so yeah. much stuff in the media is out of like the valley, and unless you're in the valley, it's not. The rest of the world doesn't operate like the valley. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> but oh yeah, I I know all the valley stories. Yeah, I was out there for a while. Yeah, exactly. You even lived there, so yeah, you get it. So, so I'm curious. You guys won some um kind of awards over the last well last year and and this year. Do you want to maybe? Kind of cover what exactly you guys won and why you guys were chosen.
1: So we won Boating Industry's Top Product Award in 2015, and we won again in 2016. And we won in 2015 because of the innovation that we were bringing to the service coordination marine industry. Gotcha. Um, You know, enabling technicians to communicate with service managers through mobile phones. Okay. Uh, being able to log their hours, being able to post pictures and photo photos of, of the work that's being done, allowing consumers to see that work being done. That was doing something innovatively that had not been done before in the industry. And, and so that's why we won in 2015. Okay, In 2016, we won because we extended the product. You, mentioned, you heard me mention before about the ability now to actually assign tasks to subcontractors. Right. Um, so we extended it to allow not just within your own company and with your own clients, but now you can do and coordinate work by assigning tasks to subcontractors external of your company and bringing even more innovation uh, to that process. And so that's the reason why we won in 2016.
0: Got you. So was there like an award ceremony you had to go to, or, or how did that kind of play out?
1: No, there, there's different categories okay. uh, uh, for different things. And so they, uh, they you submit your application, and then they have their panel of judges, and they just make a one big announcement uh, gotcha. for a variety of companies uh, for that year. And so we were very proud uh, that Boating Industry Magazine selected us the, uh, for the second year in a row.
0: Sure. So has that kind of boosted your, um, you know, traffic flow to, to the product or is it kind of too hard to tell or, or you don't really know? Well, it doesn't hurt. Sure. Uh, know that for sure. sure. And
1: when, when when the press release did go out about the announcement, uh, we certainly we see our, our traffic volume on our websites go up. Uh, we see, you know, inbound leads coming in where they're wanting demonstrations of the product go up. We still have to convert those into real business and we had a, our record quarter in, in the first quarter of this year and we broke that record in the second quarter of this year. That's awesome. Congrats, With, man. That's yeah, great. Yeah. Thank you very much. I mean, we, we've grown just this year alone. We've grown the user base 220% wow. uh, on the service pros. And, and it looks like in third quarter, we're going to break the second quarter based upon um, the deals that we have in flow right now. Wow. So it's really taken off and it's Look, it's to the credit of the industry. You know, we're we're just the tool. Uh, the industry is telling us what they want. They're telling sure. us what they need. And we're just simply the tool that's that's building what it is that they want and they need to make their businesses better.
0: Sure. So to, to the point you just made about your basic, how are you getting their feedback? Are you guys using user testing or are they just kind of emailing you? How are you getting that feedback and kind of incorporating it into your product?
1: You know, right now it's just, Direct, face-to-face really? contact. Okay. Um, yeah, we, well, I'm on the road a lot. Uh, I'm up in Canada a lot. i up in northwest Canada quite a bit. Uh, sure. You know, we have Raven Marine and North Shore Yacht Works and uh, Granville Island and Van Island and Canuco, A lot of different uh, marinas and service organizations up in the northwest uh, okay. area. And then we, we obviously have in the southeast and the northeast of the United States, we have a lot of customers in those areas. I've assigned a a field representative, a vice president of that region uh, for each of those, Northwest and uh, Northeast and Southeast, and they work daily uh, and bring that feedback back to our product team. And then we do sessions. Uh, Our product team will get on, go to meeting sessions, you know, with individual customers, walking them through proposed enhancements we're going to make to the product, and we get their direct feedback on what they like about it or what they don't like about it. Um, And we build that right into our product planning process. That's awesome. Um, So the customer voice is the loudest voice in our product planning process.
0: Sure. So do you guys kind of have a rule where you need to hear the same either change or kind of new feature from X amount of clients before you implement it? Or how do you guys kind of decide from the feedback that you get what you're actually going to execute on?
1: Yeah, that's a great question, and actually makes me uh, remember yeah. one of my uh, one of my favorite quotes, uh, you know, by Henry Ford. You know, he said, "If I asked my customers what they'd want, they'd sure. say faster horse." Right? Sure. And uh, but he had the vision of what how to deliver that faster horse in a different package. And so I think that comes with experience. Uh, you you hear what the customers are asking for, but you don't necessarily build it exactly the way that they're asking for it. You build it in a way in which you know it will be better, but will deliver the capability and functionality that they want. Gotcha. Um, so it's it really is an art, and uh, you know Steve Jobs was amazing at this. Totally. So if you think about what he did, where customers were saying, "I want smaller phones, smaller phones, smaller phones," and we were all headed down that path—these little things we could put in our shirt pocket and couldn't even feel them. Like, my favorite one was the Motorola Razr. Yeah,
0: totally. Amazing,
1: right? Yep. And then all of a sudden the iPhone comes out, and it's this big thing. And you're like, wow, that's bigger than any phone on the market. Yep. But he didn't he, – he, well, he listened to the fact they want smaller phones. He also heard other things that the industry really wanted to be able to do with these mobile devices. He changed the game. He changed the entire industry by doing what he knew was best so it's a it's a balance uh, between the feedback you're getting and the innovation that you know you need to bring to the industry
0: sure no i I think that makes a lot of sense and I think that that's actually really good advice because I'm always curious to know how other people kind of handle handle that kind of process right because it can be really tricky like you just mentioned but i I'm curious then to know when you guys are building new features, do you ever show certain clients or do you have like beta clients that you show maybe like wireframes or a prototype or kind of a beta version of features before you actually roll it out to the rest of your clientele?
1: Yeah, we do. And in fact, uh, we have a great uh, user experience. It's kind of a new field in technology. Um, It used to be just called UI, you know, user interface, right? Sure. Now they've taken it to another level, which is really user experience skill sets. And user experience, not only are they graphical in nature, they're really artists. They sure. know how to you know, uh, build best kind of practice with respect to uh, product user interfaces. But it truly is the user experience itself. When I click here, what do I expect to see? If I click on this, what should I see? And that's, that's the art. And what's amazing, the changes from when I started doing uh, technology companies, a lot of the changes are we used to only present like these really fancy, uh, well-thought-out wireframes that used to take months to build sure. and get exactly the way you wanted. Then we presented them to customers and said, what do you think? What would you move? What would you – but in today's technology development, it is so rapid. Uh, it, we don't have those kind of timeframes. To do things anymore, and it's one thing to you think about the cycles, uh, technology cycles, and it used to be you know five to seven years, then they were three to five years, then they're two to three years, and now you're innovating your own products in in matters of months, not years anymore. Totally. And so you've had to move to a much quicker input way for clients, and so a lot of companies, including ourselves, have moved more to to low fidelity. Type of uh, of quote unquote wireframes. Basically, what we're talking about is you draw it on a piece of paper. Sure. And you're drawing it. You're using tools to draw out, you know, what you believe is going to be. And in real time, you're modifying it. I think what's amazing by that is it's actually uh, gets a different reaction from customers because when you show them a wireframe, if you will, that's really beautiful. It feels like it's already built, or it sure. feels like it's decisions have already been made. And when you go the low-fidelity route and it, it feels more in draft mode, the amount of input you get seems to be exponential because they they feel like they're giving real input because it hasn't been built yet.
0: Totally. Yeah, and they don't feel like they're going to offend you because it's so early on. Right. Yeah. Exactly. No, that's really good advice. Like, oh,
1: you've gotten this so wrong. Look, you know, I would never do that. It's like, well, that's just there a sample example. You don't hear as much of that when they see it being – drawn in a low fidelity uh, way totally
0: no i i think that's that's really good advice so i'm kind of curious um is there any kind of other thing that you kind of see the future of my task going to be or you just kind of working on trying to just maybe potentially move to other industries or, or how do you see kind of the next year playing out for you guys and kind of beyond that
1: Well, a lot of uh, of the feedback we're getting now is, you know, help us with our payment process. Uh, They want to see clients be able to pay for services electronically. So we're implementing that uh, into the product as well to allow their clients to review the work that was done, hit a button, and pay for the service um, electronically, much how Uber does on transportation as well. Um, So that's coming. But the bigger part of what's coming next is really around data analytics. Okay, um we have a lot of clients say, and especially manufacturers in the industry, say, you know, I I have no idea how often my equipment is even serviced. Oh, interesting. Um so we'll have that information. We'll know, you know, this make and model of this generator is serviced this often and it's serviced more often in cooler climates than it is in hotter climates. Right. Um or you're serviced more often than uh, by factors of 2x than your closest competitors. Um, so, the data analytics that come out of it for industries to build better quality products is great. Uh, sure. Also, help businesses, you know, the, with their, for example, their labor efficiencies. Right. They may, on an average, bill out their service labor 28 hours a week, 38 hours a week. Um, big variables. If I can bill 38 hours a week on an average per labor, per person, a week, and my competitors are doing 28 hours a week, I'm a much higher efficient use of my labor source. Totally. So are not divulging, of course, who those companies are, sure. but they
0: don't know how to compare themselves.
1: Am I doing good? Am I doing
0: bad? Sure. And that's also another revenue um, stream for you guys then.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, sure. that would be something they sign up for and register to have access to that kind of information.
0: Sure. That's actually quite interesting. No, that's, that's, that's great. I, I love how you you know, are taking feedback from clients and then incorporating it and and kind of rolling out new features and becoming their kind of full end-to-end solution, right? Mm
1: Mm-hmm, right.
0: Yeah, so we're kind of coming to the end of the show, so maybe let's end the show with um, mentioning where people can find you guys online and any other kind of social media links you want to mention?
1: Sure. So you can find us at uh, www.mytaskit, uh, And we have a great website, videos, uh, a lot of information you can find about our products, both our operations module, which is the back office system, formerly DocMaster, and our coordination module for service coordination. And then uh, come to our Facebook page, which is uh, MyTaskit app. Uh, is our our handle name, Uh, and we have a lot of information and connect with our customers on Facebook as well.
0: Perfect, man. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time and your busy day to be on the show. I look forward to uh, keeping in touch with you and seeing kind of where you guys take this for the rest of uh, 2016 and beyond.
1: All right, Kevin. Thanks. I appreciate the invitation.
0: Thanks, man. All right. We'll talk soon. Okay. Okay. Bye. Thanks for listening. The music for the show is done by Electric Mantra. You can check them out at electricmantra.com. And keep them for the future.